Hi, this is Keith Radke, host of The Good Life Radio. Today's podcast first aired in multiple parts on local radio in Salt Lake, Utah, and I'm glad to share it with you in its entirety on this podcast. For more information about the show, as well as River Community Church, which produced this conversation, visit agoodliferadio.com and let us know you enjoyed the show. God bless you. Now let's join today's conversation. Thank you for joining us today on A Good Life Radio. This is Keith Radke. I'm here with Grant Schwartz. Hello. How are you doing, Grant? <laughs> Great, thank you. Hey, last couple of weeks we have spent time talking about prayer, the posture of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and just cultivating a lifestyle of prayer. And we've seen it at River Community Church, our home church together, where God has been answering some pretty cool prayers. And I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but God has really come through in a way that's visible. Yes. For people in our church who have had the same concerns, have probably most likely prayed about it before. But when we made a determination to gather in prayer on a regular basis and to make prayer a centerpiece of even our Sunday gathering, we're seeing answered prayers. Yes. We're seeing people encouraged because an answer came. Yes. And whether it was what they expected or asking for or not, it's identifiable as God's move in their life. And I was recently watching a video by um, a pastor. I think he's retired from pastoring, but he still gives a lot of encouraging messages, how he was encouraging those who were watching to stop looking for the move of God, that people will literally travel, you know, from coast to coast or around the world to to chase down the move of God and and recognize the tiny moves of God that happen every day, every hour, every minute. When God is moving in your relationship with your family, with your job, with personal issues you have, you know, internally, those kind of things. So I have been really encouraged by this conversation because it reminds us that we were made to walk in relationship and fellowship with God, and God is always working. Yes. Jesus would say that. My Father is always working, therefore I am always working. God is always working. He never stops. And when we commit to prayer, when we engage with God in regular conversation, that praying without ceasing, we're going to see tiny moves of God. That's right. We're going to see the move of God in every place. Now, in this week's conversation, we're going to talk about the people of prayer in the Bible. We're going to talk about people who learned through habit, however they learned, they learned and came to a place where when they prayed, they expected God to answer. Yes. And, you know, we've even seen some of David's psalms where he's like, Lord, why won't you answer? Yes. Because he had an expectation that his communication with God was two-way. Mm-hmm. So let's spend some time this week just building on this topic of prayer, and let's talk about some of these people of prayer in the Bible, some of the things that they prayed, and what happened, what we can learn from it. Yes. One of the things I love about prayer and God, uh, this is going to sound odd, but prayer is a bit like uh, belly buttons. There's innies and outies. Interesting. And quite often we seek uh, God in prayer expecting an outward move of God, but more often than not, the God's answer is an inward move. And as we read, uh, we've got a bunch of scripture to work through today, you'll see that some of God's prayers are outward, his answers. His responses are outward responses, 
outward answers and many of them are inward changes, inward right. responses. And too often we, we look for the, the big grandiose outside ones. We do. We look for the neon sign. Yes. You know, we look for the, the earth to shake. You know, I'm even in conversation that, that I've had with my wife, and she tells us often, it's like her first prayers were, God, if you're real, you know, move that lamp, <laughs> you know, or yeah. something like that. And she had to learn, like, God's not a genie, you know, <laughs> just doing things on demand. God has a will and a purpose for our lives, and prayer is an alignment on our part with what he wants for us. Yes, that's right. Well, we're going to kick off with a uh, reading from Jonah, chapter 2, verse 2 to 9. Uh, this is where Jonah is inside the whale. And I'm just going to read it. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me, Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Wow, that is deep, and literally, that was deep. Yes. Because Jonah was in the belly of the great fish. Yes. He, he had been swallowed, and uh, if you doubt this story, look at maritime history. <laughs> uh, there are plenty of examples of people being uh, swallowed by a large fish and being recovered alive. So um, we're just going to say that. But here, Jonah was on the run. Yes. Away from God. That's right. And God let him run for a mm-hmm. while, but the, the tether came to its end. <laughs> yes. And he found himself walking the plank, and he's crying out in a place of, of distress. I mean, I'm sure, no doubt, as he prays his prayer, he thinks and believes, I'm dead. Yeah. This is it. This was like his final prayer. And, and you can see in his prayer, what does he do? He starts with some shame, yeah. regret, you know, and then... Boy, it just builds up from there. Yes. There's an honesty about what happened and then a repentance. Yes. And then what does he do? He says, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to, you know, we would say it in the New Testament context, I'm going back to my first love. Yes. You know, thanksgiving, sacrifice, what I vow to pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, this is, this is a good prayer. It is. What I love about it is he's in a position now where he's had to recognize his running away from God, um, which we're actually going to look at later when uh, David, in one of the Psalms, he realizes that he cannot run away from God. And it's not a good thing to run away from God. And Jonah's realized this. So he came to that point. And as Keith said, shame, regret, repentance. He changed his posture. Uh, We talked about that last week. He turned from Jonah, the man running away, to the Jonah going, Oh bugger, I've stuffed this one up. Mm. And he recognized um, God's sovereignty, uh, God's forgiveness, and he sought God in prayer. And um, the, the last uh, stanza is, is a real recommitment. Yeah, it's like, really oh, is. 
when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's going, yeah, God, I know you're hearing me. I know what I've done, but I know you're still there. I heard a message from a pastor once, and I, I don't remember who it is, but the, the heart of the message, the point of the message sticks with me, that of getting to the bottom of ourselves. Yes. And that when we get to the bottom of ourselves, we find out what's there. Mm-hmm. And if you have put your faith in Christ, he will be there. Yes. Right? He will be the founder. Even if we pull a Jonah and we run the other direction when God calls us in, in, in the opposite direction, right? Even when we pull a David and we do something that is abhorrent, God will allow us to get to the end of ourselves, the bottom of ourselves, so we will find him again. Yes. And that's what happens here. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, this is really cool because I don't think he's talking about the holy temple in Jerusalem. No, it's, um, it's not a reference to Jerusalem. He looked up to God in his holy temple in heaven. In the book of Daniel, um, when Daniel's praying, you'll see that he opens his uh, windows and he's look, overlooking Jerusalem. But this is not a reference to that because there's no uh, doors or windows inside a whale. So he was yeah. he was posturing towards heaven, seeking God in heaven, acknowledging God's righteousness in heaven. Um, even though he was afraid God would not look down on him uh, uh, with grace and mercy. I mean, he was pleading for um, God and grace and mercy. He he chose, he resolved to look up to God in a posture that's saying, God, I recognize who you are mm. and I recognize my weakness before you. That's really good. Now, he uses a term that David uses as well um, where he talks about Sheol. He says, out of the be- belly of Sheol I cried. And uh, David would actually speak prophetically of Jesus, that you will not leave you know, his body in the grave or in Sheol, right? So what, yeah. is, what is Sheol? What, where is this place or what, what, what is he referencing? Well, it's a Hebrew term, if I understand correctly, which uh, it means the state or abode of the dead. Uh, the grave was the word used for the resting place of the body, but Sheol, how do you pronounce that, Craig? Is it Sheol? Sheol. Sheol. Sheol was a rest and, uh, resting place of departed spirits or personalities. Hmm. That's really interesting. So two, two distinct things, grave, being in the grave, right. and Sheol, two different things. Which, which is a place where a person, if we understand kind of the Old Testament afterlife, it was a holding place for those who believed in Christ or, or, excuse me, believed in God or didn't believe in God, and there was a separation, there was a gap, there was a distinction, and they waited with expectation for judgment. Yes. And, and Jesus went and rescued those yes. who had been waiting with expectation. They had put their faith in God, like Hebrews 11 said, those who looked forward and didn't see that which um, they were expecting. So, wow, this is great. So, so Jonah is an example to us of someone who, even though they were a follower of God, even though they were called by God and sent with a purpose, they, they freaked out yes. and they ran the other way, but they came to the end of themselves, the bottom of themselves, and they cried out to God and God rescued him. He does not reject those who call out in repentance. And I love this. He doesn't give up on those who are his. Amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hi, this is Keith. I'm here with Grant, and we're continuing our conversation this week about the people of prayer in the Bible. 
And uh, this, this next person is just really an incredible example of someone who just exemplifies a strength and a humility in coming to pray to the Lord, and that is Hannah in First Samuel chapter 2. Grant, just introduce us to Hannah. Well, Hannah was uh, one of two women married to a man called Elkanah, uh, and it's not clear in Scripture which one he married first. Uh, but what we do know is that Hannah had no children, and his other wife, Penina, had many. Uh, and ha- having children, as we know from the, the culture context of culture, was really an important part. Right. But Hannah's infertility didn't matter to Elkanah. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear, though, how deeply he loved her and the pain that Hannah endured from his other wife. And I'd just like to put a little asterisk here, and there's a footnote down at the bottom of our conversation that this is dealing with the topic of polygamy, but it is reporting the news. Yes. It is not condoning. No. This is not an endorsement. There's no biblical teaching to justify. This is simply reporting the news of what happened. Yes. Right. This was this man's choice, and it comes with its own complications and its own problems, and always anything outside of God's purpose for us is going to be filled with trouble and filled with grief. So it is important to say that. Okay, end of the footnote. Yes. Back to this situation. Elkanah has two wives. Yes. One is having children. The other is barren. And this infertility is that which um, causes a lot of heartbreak. So she begins to pray. She goes to the tabernacle, and she offers this prayer. She says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, which was an expression of strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven and she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Here we see a woman who began in a place of brokenness, yes. finds out uh, from, uh, from the priest that her prayer will be answered. Yes. And her response is the right perspective of who God is and what God is capable of, despite our norms. Like she even just talks about like how things are flipped on its on their head. Absolutely, I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. That's my favorite part of these verses. How it's an amazing display how God flips what may seem normal and just changes it up and makes it even even greater. Yeah, um, and it, it's. Also reminds us, reminds, reminds me of how, as a sinner myself, he takes a sinner from death to life, from condemnation to freedom. 
from hopelessness to hope, and, and I could continue. And this is a wonderful expression of this nature of God, how he um, takes things of the world, changes them, flips them upside down, and turns them into wonderful things. Hannah is expressing gratitude here. Right? Beforehand, before this prayer, she was devastated. Yes. Right? You know, and this wasn't just a matter of, of biological clock. This was a matter of recognizing she was incapable of having children. The issue was her. She yes. blamed herself. And she was helpless in that sense, but she also, I think, had lost hope yes. that she would bring honor to her husband's name, that she herself would be able to enjoy you know, having children. And so here she is, just devastated, brokenhearted. But she goes to the place of prayer, which you can tell this was a familiar place for her. Mm-hmm. This wasn't desperation prayer. They were going annually to the tabernacle to offer sacrifices. This was part of their lifestyle. And part of her lifestyle of prayer, she just came with a different posture. Yes. One of humility, one of hopelessness, one of brokenness. And she's going to leave grateful, rejoicing, yes. and expecting a miracle, a literal miracle. Yes. The, the start of this, I love the, the language. And when I read through this, I think we don't pray like this. We don't pray like this often enough. Like words like exalt, we, it's not a word we use commonly. No. But we haven't really replaced it with anything equal as well. And my heart exalts in the Lord. What, what, what do you think that means? It's, it's, a, it's an elevation. Yes. My, my heart is elevated in the Lord. You know, here I am in a, in a place of, of lowliness. I mean, he, she, she elaborates, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. So she's expressing that her heart was down, was deflated, was in a place of despair, and God has elevated her. This is, this is an elevation. So this is something that happens when we worship God. Not only do we elevate him in our hearts, but because he is elevated, he brings us up to where he is. He elevates us. And yes. so our heart can be elevated in the Lord, can be exalted in the Lord, because he is exalted. Yes, and I, that, that middle stanza where it's got the, the back and forth between the, the low and the high, the, the was and now is, is an extension of that expression. Um, my, my favorite part of that, it, where it says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Uh, it's just wonderful because it's, it's not only just expressing uh, where he's taking us out of and how he's making it better, it adds to that that we will inherit a seat of honor. And we know through Scripture that uh, God has a, a place, a room, Waiting for us, yes, in, in heaven. And I always, I always like to think of like this. And this is this is Grant's interpretation um, that when uh, we, we we turn up in heaven, and like God's there, He's separating the sheep and the goats, and you see us coming in all our frailty and our incompleteness as a human, but sanctified in Christ, made righteous in Christ, and He sees us coming, and He stops, and He says, "Grant, come here, Keith, come here." I've got a room prepared for you. It's right next to mine. Mm. And, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know if it's going to look like that, but I just, that's the intimacy of God mm. that we have promised. So when, when Hannah is expressing this, 
to sit with princess and inherit a seat of honor. It's God saying to to her, they're like, you know what? You're going to be okay. I've got something better for you in eternity, much more than what this world's going to offer. And it's, it's, Sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. It's probably more of a cultural expression how she's saying that. Right. Um, but we know further from scripture what what the the end of what what we're going to have in eternity is going to look like. So I, I think there is a parallel in that, and it's just such a beautiful picture. Yeah, I really like Ephesians how it talks about our current inheritance, our current status as those who've been adopted by God. You know, yes. when we put our faith in Christ we receive that which God has prepared for those who believe. And that reception of what we have is a matter of faith. It's not that it's not there, because it is. And it's not that we have to do anything to extra to earn it, but we don't enjoy it mm. apart from faith. So I can put my faith in Christ for salvation and believe that I'm a child of God and still not walk fully in all that God has prepared for me. And this is, this is a shift for her to go from, you know, a place of brokenness, a place of despair, maybe just kind of this introspective woe is me, Mm -hmm. to recognizing God is God. Yes. And there's nothing impossible for him. Absolutely. And because I belong to him, there's so much more available to me. And the Christian is the same way. Ephesians tells us that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We, We have an inheritance that has not only been prepared for us, but there we can begin to enjoy it now. Yes. It's an expectation uh, of, that's why we call it hope. Yes. But that hope is, is what drives us now and what ultimately um, is what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to uh, that which we've already inherited. So, so I look at this and I see someone who begins in a place of feeling oppressed, depressed, to now making really just a declaration of praise. God is God. God is going to do what he is going to do. There's nothing impossible for him. No one can take away that which God plans to do. For her, it was a matter of perspective because she was struggling with the present. Yes. But God had bigger plans for her. Yes. And how did she find out those big plans? She got her her heart in alignment through prayer. She aligned herself with God's will through prayer. If you're struggling with your current situation, it seems hopeless. It seems like, like there's no solution. Consider the prayer of Hannah from 1 Samuel 2, a prayer of turning her heart towards God, acknowledging God's capacity to do above and beyond anything that she could expect or ask for herself, and then just responding in praise to, to what God has promised. God has promised a lot to us, and it's through prayer that we can begin to have our perspective changed and to enjoy that which God gives to us. This is Keith. I'm here with Grant, and we continue our conversation on the people of prayer that we find in the Bible. I want to encourage you with this. You and I can be people of prayer. Yes. And it's as simple as doing it. Yes. It's as simple as praying. Yes. Praying is a conversation. It's talking to God and posturing our heart to hear from God. That's right. Right. To approach him with humility, with reverence, with expectation, um, and, and, and to believe that he is going to respond. 
Yes. And in that belief, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to quiet myself to listen, and then I'm going to open his word. Yeah, that's two things. Yes. <laughs> so, Grant, as we've taken a look at a few prayers, we look at the prayer of Jonah, the prayer of Hannah. Let's, let's look at Daniel's prayer from Daniel chapter 9. Here's a guy in, in exile. This guy has been literally transplanted against his will from his homeland of Israel, and he is now in Persia, and he is a captive, and he has been put into employment for his skill set and his, his usefulness to the king. He was a guy that could have easily given in. I mean, we obviously know his story from the lion's den, but he is someone who could have easily given in and just kind of rolled over. Yes. But instead, he maintains his relationship with the Lord. He maintains his walk with God. And he has an incredible, incredible life of prayer. Just kind of unpack this for us here from Daniel 9. Daniel 9, it's an amazing prayer because it's, it's a bit unique in the sense that uh, he recognizes that the 70 years of exile uh, have ended. The Babylonians, Babylonians came in and made a, a great big mess of things. Um, but he's, he's praying uh, on behalf of his people. This prayer is not uh, just an individual prayer. He's, um, he's coming to God as a re- representative uh, of the people of God, um, which we know uh, through the Old Testament, the Israelites um, didn't always do so well. They had their good moments and then became disobedient, broke God's covenant, and it got messed up. And then God brought new people, new covenants, gave them another chance. God is... Um, uh, God is a God of infinite second chances. Yes, he is. And uh, this is one uh, uh, representation of God and his second chances. So I'm, I'm going to start off in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, so this is not the prayer, but it's just an introduction. In the first year of Darius, the son of, I don't know how to pronounce that. Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. Oh, bless you. Uh, but yes, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realms of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I... Daniel perceived the books, the numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So, Keith, what does that first bit tell you about Daniel and his relationship with God? And notice it says there that he perceived in the books the number of years according to the word of the Lord that Jeremiah the prophet had said must pass. He knew his scripture. Yes. He knew he was reading Jeremiah. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, in our days we would say he knew his Bible. Mm -hmm. And he lived with that expectation. Yes. Because of what the Bible said. Because he really believed it was God's word. So he looks at the calendar. He looks at the Bible. He looks at the calendar. He looks at the Bible again. And he goes, wait a minute. This, this 70 years of exile that, that is a, a punishment, a discipline yes. um, of God's people by God himself, God allowed this to happen, to set them back on the course that he had purposed for them. Yes. Um, sometimes he does that. Sometimes in order to keep us on the path that he has planned for us, he removes us, puts us out here for a while, yes. and brings us back and puts us back in the track with a completely different perspective. So. Daniel, here's a man whose heart was turned to God, but he just recognized, okay, the time is coming. And his response 
is total humility. I mean, with a bit of humiliation. Yes. Fasting, prayer, sackcloth, ashes. This is, this is a total mortification of, of himself in order to align his heart with God. Yes. So what does he pray? It says, I, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So what we, what we hear in that section, <laughs> Daniel crying out a confession to God on behalf of his people. He is so humble in his language, saying, we, we've rebelled against your covenant, a covenant which is in itself full of forgiveness, mercy, hope, love, and everything. But covenants came with conditions. Like Covenants generally had a, um, a benevolence aspect of God being almighty what he's going to do, his blessings of the covenants and the consequences of not following the covenants. And covenants were a normal thing in the culture of the day. So they, they knew. They knew what was going to happen if they disobeyed, yet they chose to anyway. And this is the last part of that. And he says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. So he acknowledges the, the, the prophet's voice to our kings, to our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land, basically saying, we have messed up. We have no excuse. We sinned against you and broke the covenant. You see that here with Daniel, and you see it also like with Nehemiah. There have been a few others where it would be easy for them, based on their present relationship with God, to say, God, I, I've been faithful to you, yes. but look, look at my brothers and sisters. <laughs> look, at, look at your people. No, they lump themselves in with the sin of the people, mm -hmm. the rebellion against God. You know, he says, we have not listened to the prophets. Well, obviously, Daniel was. He was reading the scriptures, looking at the calendar, reading the yes. scriptures, looking at the calendar, adding, doing the math, and realizing where he was at. But he, he realized, it, it's not just me. No. We, we all, I mean, yes, can the prayer of one person move mountains? I mean, James says that the, the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man, you know, accomplishes much. So yes, I mean, God, God can do what he does. But in this case, he recognized this is, this is a national dilemma yes. brought on by, a na by national choice. Yes. And the only way for us to um, make things right, according to the covenant, yes. is to acknowledge our national responsibility. That's right. And, and exhibit national repentance and call it to God and, and let God do a national deliverance. Which that, he does. That's right. And the word reconciliation comes to mind. Um, and just as much well, as... What does that mean? Reconciliation, to make right with the person that you've wronged. That's good. Uh, that's probably the simplest way. And that's exactly what happens when uh, we are forgiven in Jesus' name. We are reconciled to our Creator. He's the one that we've sinned against. He's the one that we've betrayed. But we are made right through Christ because he's paid our debt. So... Um, Jesus made right with God what we did wrong, which is <laughs> the amazing part of the gospel. We're going to uh, continue for the last few minutes, just running through a, a couple of the verses. Um, and I'll, I'll read these one after uh, another, and you'll, you'll hear a tone through this, which I think is uh, wonderful to grab. Verse 7 says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us 
open shame. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And 17 to 19. Now therefore, for, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. This is so important. I think as Americans, we need to take a cue from this prayer. We are not in the same type of captivity or bondage, literally, that Daniel and the people of Israel were here in Babylon. But we are, we are headed down a very destructive path. And, you know, I think we can see that around the world. So many nations as a collective have rejected God. Yes. And he says that we have rebelled against him. Mercy and forgiveness only is found in God. Yes. And our rebellion is not against man-made laws. It's not against cultural trends. It's not against national history. It's against God. This is about our relationship with God as a nation, and we need to get to this place. We don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. There's nothing good in us. No, it's because of his mercy that we can come. You know, we've talked about this a few times, how it's an approach to the throne of grace. Yes. Right, we, we come to God to obtain mercy and forgiveness because that's what's found in him. That's his yes. character. That's his nature. And part of our prayers is a recognition of our inability, our inadequacy, and our complete falling short you know, of the glory <laughs> of God. And so in that falling short, instead of losing hope and despairing, we can come, and it says here, because of his great mercy. There is mercy for us. You know, friends, if you're listening to this right now and you are dealing with your own stupidity, your own sin, your own sense of of just letting God down, God is real. He's honest. He's going to handle your sin the way it needs to be handled. And he did that through Jesus. Yes. And he dealt with it. And all we have to do is come to him, not because we're righteous, but because he is merciful. So come to the mercy of God. Find healing. Find help. Find hope in the God of mercy. As we continue our conversation this week about being people of prayer, we're looking specifically at the people of prayer in the Bible. Grant, I want to talk about Paul. He was a man of prayer. Yes. And some of his prayers I can relate with because you realize if you get stuck in a situation that you have no control over, like Paul did when he ended up in prison a few times <laughs> just for being a Christian, Yes, you know, for disturbing the peace with the gospel, of peace, interesting, he had to learn to make the most of that moment. I love the prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, and I just want to read this and let's break it down because this is, oh, this is a great prayer. This is about who we are mm-hmm. in Christ, and it's not so much that we would achieve these things, but that we would recognize that we have these things yes. in Christ as he is talking about the people of God in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is about having our eyes open mm-hmm. to realize what we have in Christ, that if Christ is dwelling in us, we have this power through the Spirit. We have these riches of his glory. We are a part of the family of God. We are rooted and grounded in love. We have strength to comprehend with all the saints just how big God's love is for us through Christ and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. What, what else can we learn from Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, Grant? One of the, the aspects of this prayer which I love is here is uh, Paul in prison uh, around 62 AD. He's in prison in Rome. Yet he's writing to a, a young church in Ephesus. But he's not asking for things for Ephesus. He's the one in prison, yet he's the one encouraging his brothers in the faith. So well, hang on, shouldn't it, shouldn't it be the other way? Shouldn't the, the church in Ephesus be the one concerned for Paul? And I'm sure they were. But that didn't stop Paul from pouring his heart out to God and seeking God on their behalf and praying for them and encouraging them. They were uh, discouraged in their faith because Paul was suffering in prison. So he is trying to show them, say, no, 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 no. God's bigger than my circumstance. God's right. bigger than right. me, and he is more than enough for you. He is greater than you can even imagine. His grace and his, his mercy and um, his, his will for your life, his will for you as a church is beyond your wildest dreams. But one of the, my, my favorite parts, there's, I, the whole thing's my favorite part, yeah, I've got to admit. Yeah. I love the way that Paul starts off. For this reason, and he's responding to their concerns, I bow my knees before the Father. It's just it's the perfect way to begin. It's um, a reflection of how uh, Jesus taught the disciples to pray in the right. Lord's Prayer is acknowledging Our God. Father in heaven. Exalting God, just yeah. as we, we learned before that um, Hannah did. I bow my knees, I'm humbled before the Father. And then he says, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Where do we get our, our identity from? He's saying you are in Christ. Yes. Because he created you, he named you. He, he knows who you are and he loves you. And according to the riches of whose glory? His glory. His glory. And he, it just continues on. Uh, uh, it's, it's so powerful. But I, the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter our, our circumstances. We, we have responsibility to the body of Christ and fellow believers. And the, the power of prayer from someone suffering as Paul is mm. um, is not limited by his circumstances. Right. And I think somewhere in there as well, it's almost amplified. When he's crying out to God from prison in those circumstances, God recognizes the humility, mm. the acknowledgement of God's righteousness. And um, you know, there, there's, something, there's something amazing about that. When you talk about being part of the family of God, that we have an identity. It reminds me of, of, and there may be a little bit of folklore to it, but, you know, Abraham Lincoln, president of the United States during the American Civil War, he would be conversing with his generals and his cabinet members, and his son Tad would come walking in. You know, there would be kind of an a, a immediate attempt on, on the adults by the door to kind of prevent him from making his way, but, you know, Lincoln would just invite his son to come to him. And then you also see that 
in some of the photography uh, of the Kennedy administration when, when John F. Kennedy was president of his son, little John, uh, underneath the desk. Under the desk. You know, and, and just that is what we have. They call the American president the most powerful uh, leader in the free world, but no matter how powerful or significant they are in comparison to others, there was this father's heart to give their children access yes. you know, to them. And we have it so much better yeah. <laughs> than they did. We, we have a God who grants us access, um, and we can come to him. And he doesn't hinder us. He doesn't resist us. He says, come to me. That's right. And the, another part of this line, uh, part of the line, part of the verse that really sticks out for me is he, he starts off encouraging them, and then he starts with, so. Now, my wife will attest that I hate starting a sentence with so, (laughs) Um, but I'm going to start a sentence with so. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. And he he continues on. But I'm just going to stop on that bit. So that Christ may dwell in you. He's talking about a a purpose. There's this, so that. Yes. once again, it, it just elevates. It's like God's doing this, but he's got more for you. There's more, more purpose and you understand, and he's going to equip you. But one thing I really love is this line, being rooted and grounded in love. And if you take the, the picture of a tree, the tree roots, they're, they're, they're dug in deep. And so if you think about what keeps us upright, what keeps us wavering and crashing in the storm, it's that rooted in Christ. Yes. And, and I heard, heard this said once, um, it's referring to uh, the common phrase, like walking in the Spirit, being in Christ. Um, you know, we, we quite often talk in a lot of Christianese language that we don't totally understand what we're saying. And the simple answer, walking in the Spirit, being in Christ, in Him, the, the answer, the definition that this person gave was that uh, your day is rooted in the foundation of His love. And I love that because I know when my days go bad, I can look back and go, hmm, have I rooted my day in the promises of Christ and his love, grace, mercy, etc.? No, I didn't really do that today. Mm. I've just gone off on my own thing. Right. I, I just love that expression, rooted and grounded in love. Many years ago, I had the opportunity while I was between jobs. I don't know if you've ever been between jobs. <laughs> uh, when I was between jobs, I got a job. Right. I had to do something. So I spent a little bit of time working for a master landscaper and, you know, they had gone to college to study botany and horticulture and all that other green thumb stuff. (laughs) And the part of landscaping that he did was not the cutting of the grass and, and, you know, that kind of stuff was planting trees and flowers and plants and building landscapes and water features and yards. And I learned so much about God through that experience and about my life because being rooted and grounded in love has everything to do with having a soil that's prepared correctly. Yes. So when that tree, especially at a transplanted tree, is growing, that the conditions are right for, for the maximum potential for the roots because the roots are essential to the mm-hmm. life and the vibrancy and the fruitfulness of that tree and how you know we could risk um, something being root-bound if it wasn't planted and rooted correctly. And here God wants us to be rooted and grounded in love so that way we might be fruitful and strong and vibrant to comprehend with all the saints what is just just how big God's love really is. 
you know, friends, I want to encourage you. It's the desire of God that Christ dwell in your heart through faith. Don't let anyone rob you of that expression. Remember many years ago, I had read a book, and essentially the guy was saying, stop telling people to ask Jesus in their hearts. And I just thought, well, but the Bible says. And I, I, I struggled because the theological reasoning behind it seemed sound. And then I read this scripture, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yes, Christ wants to dwell in your heart. He wants to come and be at the core, at the center of your life, to give you life, to be the source of your life. And so don't let anyone rob you of that. And if you have never asked Christ to dwell in your heart, it's as simple as faith. Coming to him, acknowledging God's love for you through Christ, that surpasses knowledge. You you can't figure it all out. So we, we recognize it. We acknowledge it. We say, okay, God, you are love. And because you are love, I can come to you and I can believe in Christ and I can have the fullness of all that you have to give. I can have it in my own life. It's as simple as a prayer. It's as simple as talking to God and saying, God, I need you. I am a sinner. I need help. I can't save myself. Please save me. And however you say that in your own words, he will respond to you. But you come to him in faith and Christ will begin to dwell in your life. You will be rooted and grounded in love and you will have all the fullness of God in your life right now. So what are you waiting for? Grant, as we wrap up our conversation this week about being people of prayer and specifically focusing on the people of prayer in the Bible, uh, we've looked at some really good prayers from Hannah, from Paul. There's a handful of other people, just um, solid prayer warriors. Now, they didn't start that way. Some of these people did not, definitely did not start that way, but they're marked by being people of prayer. Let's just kind of go over some of these ones that we've listed here. Let's see, starting, you, you, put, down, uh, you put down page numbers. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, David is probably the biggest example in the scripture of a man who was so devoted to prayer, he, he wrote a lot of songs about it. Yes. <laughs> he got to a really low place in his life. I mean, Psalm 51 basically is his response to God calling him out on his sin. Yes. You know, that he had committed adultery, that he had had the husband of the woman he committed adultery with executed, and he tried to hide his sin. He tried yes. to cover it up. But the prophet comes, gives him a, a, a story, a, a, an, an analogy, an allegory about a, a man who was so rich and so wealthy and had all these flocks of sheep, and a visitor came. And instead of using one of his own, he went to his poor neighbor who only had one. And it was, a, it was like the family pet. Yes. And he took of that, and he, and he served the neighbor's lamb as dinner for his guest. And David, having been a shepherd, was outraged. Like, who is this person? Like, let me, let me have a go at him. And the prophet pointed his finger at David and said, it's you. Yes. You did this. Look at all that God gave you, and you robbed a man of his wife, and of his life. And God has seen this, and God will be just. And so David, instead of pointing the finger or deflecting the blame, he says, against you and you only, God, have I sinned. And so Psalm 51 is born out of that. Um, Would you just begin to read this for us and, and kind of break it down for us? Verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity 
and cleanse me from my sin. This is a, a very commonly read psalm, but it's one of the most beautiful psalms, I think, in, in the Bible because David is broken. It took a lot for David to realize that he was broken. So he was, right. he was broken in the sense that uh, the prophet Nathaniel came and called him out, and that broke him. So he came to the recognition of his sin. Right. And then he realized that he was completely broken as a human being. Uh, we got to remember that David started off as a rock star. Yeah, as, really. as a young kid, he, he defeated Goliath when, when Saul was too chicken to go out and, and face him. David stood up in, in faith, faith alone, and defeated Goliath. He, he was a rock star. Um, to, to the people, um, uh, the Bible says that he's a good-looking bloke. He was athletic, muscular, musical. He, he was the whole deal. A bit like you know, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good comparison. He was the whole deal. Um, yet he threw it all away. Yeah. For, for trinkets, right. uh, as you will. And, and the Bible goes on to say that by God had, uh, he would have given David anything he wanted. And if he, everything that David had, if he wanted more, God would have blessed him with because David was a, a man after his own heart. And God, God had great purpose for David, yet he, he chucked it in the gutter because he, he started seeking the wrong things. He wasn't seeking after God. Even though we recognize David as a man, after God's heart, his whole life wasn't like that. So in these first verses, you can hear this brokenness. He starts with, have mercy on me, God. Um, can you d- define mercy for us, Keith? I hate to get my uh, theology from Veggie Tales, <laughs> but mercy is that second chance, mm-hmm. you know, to get it right. It's, it's God withholding that which I deserve. Yes. So I can try again. I yes. can start over again. And, and I think those new beginnings are found in the mercy of God. And this mercy is not because I've deserved it. No. But because God is merciful. That's right. And, and oftentimes, you know, the translations of the Bible that go back and forth between steadfast love and mercy, that mercy speaks of the fact that this is how it is. Yes. It's steadfast. God does not cease being merciful. So we come to him and we, you know, we throw ourselves upon his mercy. It's an expression that's used. And I, I just think mercy is that second chance. Absolutely. I don't deserve it, but God gives it. And, and by very de- definition, if we didn't deserve it, it wouldn't be mercy. Right. And so we, can, we quite often get to a point where we, we understand we need mercy for God. But in the same sentence, we're quite slow to recognize that we deserve it fully. And where you say that David was a man after... God's heart. I mean, that's what God said of him. Verse three, you see that happening where David is just, he's getting right with God, right? Because his heart is turned towards God. So I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Well, we can't run from sin. We can't run from blame. And we got to not we got to not make excuses. David, David was done making excuses. I bet that this sin that he committed, which was just, just grievous, it, this, is, this is just abhorrent behavior for any human being. And David, being a king, I think he believed himself to be invincible. I think he believed himself to be unaccountable, that he could do what he wanted. He yes. earned it. He deserved it. You know, he'd, he'd, 
he'd gotten his lucky break, and here he was, king of everything. Yes. And you see this. He says, you know, my transgression, my sin is ever before me. I, I have to look at myself in the mirror every day. I can't run from this sin. And what does he do? He acknowledges it's because I sinned against God. That's right. I think Psalm 139, which is a, a, another psalm of David, is a great parallel parallel to Psalm 51. And it's a, um, a psalm. I'll read a little bit of it. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. And then starting in verse 7, it says, Where can I run from you? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your hand will hold me fast. Mm. And so what I love about this psalm is that even if you run away from God, if you, if you think you're running away from God, you can't run away from God because he is not going to let you get away from him. It's, it's a bit like God's a teleporter. This is a terrible analogy, but I'm going to run with it. <laughs> Just go for it. That it doesn't matter where you run, God's always going to be there. That's right. Which is both scary from a point of conviction, because mm. the Holy Spirit will let you know that you, you can't flee That's right. from God. That's right. But how wonderful it is that God's right there to bring grace. In Psalm 139, it's, you, you almost can hear Jonah thinking through this psalm while he's in that place of being in the depths. He, he, he went as far as he could, and God, God chased him down. In verse 10 and, and 12, this is what our response should be from David here in Psalm 51. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, sin will rob us of our joy. Yes. You know, we've been saved by God's grace, by faith in Christ. We've been saved. And there's so much that goes with our salvation. But when we sin and when we don't acknowledge our sin and when we don't, you know, come to God and repent of our sin and accept his forgiveness, we will lack joy. And that joy is, is not just a happy feeling. It's not a good feeling per se. It is knowing that God is good and that things are good with God. Yes. <laughs> between you and him. And and that's joy. So in the in the most difficult times of life, we can have joy because we know that we're good with God. Yes. And and that God is good. And so David has been robbed of that. And he says, Restore to me. You're the only one that can give me a clean heart. You're the only one that can make me new again. Um, so don't push me away, God. Don't take your spirit away from me. I need my joy back. You know, give me my joy back. And this is both a prayer and I think a declaration. Yes. Just acknowledging this is what's happening. As I've come to you, David's heart is after God, that God is ready. And that's what I love about God. He is ready. I, th I think there's something powerful as well in the words, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's an acknowledgement of the help of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if there's also an acknowledgement that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. So it follows up. Take not your Holy Spirit from me because he's, gonna, he's the one that's going to call me out. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So keep convicting me, God, so yeah. I will continue to re remember and recall and rejoice in your salvation. Because what he's realized that he has lost is uh, a broken relationship with God. And we've talked about reconciliation previously, but that's exactly what we lose. We, we lose that relationship, that intimate relationship, mm -hmm. that sonship 
with God say, we should be praying, Holy Spirit, convict me of my sins. Remind me of the joy of salvation. And that's why when we started this conversation, it's important for us to recognize that prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. And when we stop doing that, when we get out of the awareness and the, the routine, and I mean a good routine, a life rhythm of talking to God, we'll find ourselves like David did. We'll find ourselves separated from God. And the blessing is, is he's just right there, yes. right close to us, waiting for us. Call out to the Lord now. Be a person of prayer and let God make you the person he wants you to be. Yes. I, and this is as old and as cliche, it seems, as, as anything of Christianity. But pray. God's called you to pray, to read your Bible, to pray, to spend time with other Christians, and just watch God do miracles in your life. saying thanks again for listening to our podcast today. For more information about A Good Life Radio, visit agoodliferadio.com and also visit riverutah.church for more information about our church.